we are starting a brand new series today titled, What is Love? And uh, <clears throat> so Jonathan and I did our, uh, our debut of our acting career, so you got a little taste of it. And uh, I'm really excited about this, um, about this series. In fact, I'm so excited, I thought Bujo and Thibodeau had to lead off with us. <laughs> Bujo and Thibodeau, they're there on the golf course playing golf. Now, Bujo, he's some kind of serious about his golf. I mean, he got every hole they play him for money. They get to the 18th hole, he's got about a 20-foot putt. If he sinks it, he's going to make $500 off of Thibodeau. He ain't never had that much money on the line. And so he sits there, he lines it all up. Boy, it's real serious. He walks all around, looks at the putt, all around, back and forth. And he's about to go and hit the putt when all of a sudden on the highway, here comes this funeral procession. The hearse is up front. You got the Cadillac behind it, and all the cars are falling with their lights on. Bujo grabs his hat, takes it off, puts it over his heart, and stands there for a moment in silence. Thibodeau ain't never seen nothing like it. <laughs> Can't believe it. Bujo, he don't care about nobody or nothing. And all of a sudden, he's going to be some kind of humble and, 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 and show respect to the dead. That's unbelievable. As the last car went on past, Boudreaux put his hat back on and went to line back up. His putt Thibodeau said, oh, no, hold on just a second. In all the years, I done knowed you. He said, in all the years, I ain't never seen you do nothing that respectful. He said, that, in all the years, I mean, you brought a tear to my eye, Boudreaux, to be that respectful. As, as a funeral procession went by like that, Boudreaux looked up at him and said, well, we were married 27 years. Some of y'all get that a little later. As we jump into this series, what is love? Um, really, uh, over the years, it seems as though that term has become a moving target. What is it? Is it sexuality? Is it whatever type of sex you want to have? Is it a feeling? Is it a set of emotions? Can you trade it in when you don't like it anymore? Is there a practical application to it? It's amazing that poets and philosophers write about it. But what is it? And how do we, the Christian, the followers of Jesus, how do we walk in it? What is it, what is it, how's it supposed to be practiced? And today as we jump in, we're going to look at the practitioner side of love. We're going to jump in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is considered the, um, if you will, it is the, the passage about love. Now, before we go into this, let me just give you a little heads up. So we're going to take the next six weeks. We're going to talk about what is love in general. We're going to talk about what does love look like in a marriage. Because all you single people, we're going to prep you. And all you married people, we're going to keep you. And then we're going to talk about what does it look like in a family and parenting and things like that. And we're going to take not just the month of February, but we're going to go into March. And we're going to nail this thing down. And we're going to get this thing figured out. And we're going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And we're going to act like Jesus act. Come on, you with me? Say yes. And so, and so we've got to learn it, and we've got to relearn, and we've got to even um, re remove some things from who we've become. And uh, especially in the last few years, uh, the amount of hate that we've seen propagated, the amount of difficulty that um, has come upon folks and turned them against each other. And so as a result of that, it is a timely word. What is love? And so I, what we did was um, I asked some of our pastors and some of our leaders, hey, what are some of the best books and training pieces 
that you have gone through and that you share with people, um, you know, when they're going through some, some things that you share maybe in your small group, what are some of the best resources? And so they put together for you a resource list. They're going to throw a QR code up right now. And if you just want, uh, we'll be going through a couple, one of these books specifically next week. We're going to go through some of the teachings um, from Dr. Uh, Parrott. And, uh, but if you want to just scan the QR code, you can see kind of the top list of, of resources that our leaders and, and, and some of our pastors have put together for you. I haven't read all of them, so there may be some heresy in some of it. I don't know. But I try to trust most of our pastors and leaders. So I think it'll be something really good for you. So go ahead and kind of pull towards that. And over the next couple of weeks, you may go, man, we need to go grab that book. That, uh, that the Hill City guys put together on that list for us, baby, because we need to learn some things. All right, as we jump in, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You ready for the reading of the word? Say yes. yes. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that, cannot, that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Would you say that with me? Love never fails. Say it again. Love never fails. Now, this 1 Corinthians, the entire book, is a very interesting book. Um, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church. Some of you that are studied may know this already, but let me just recap for you for a moment and for the rest of us. So the Corinthian church has been a bunch of Gentiles that have gotten saved. They've encountered the, the Yeshua. They've encountered the Messiah. They've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're moving in the gifts. But they have all of this left over from their past life, like all of us. And Paul um, is getting reports of their wickedness within, within this church and how they're acting and what they're doing. And so he writes a letter to them to really rebuke them. And so 1 Corinthians is a rebuke, and he's setting some things straight. And he's starting to see, even amongst the Gentiles that are coming to Christ, that they don't have a backdrop, they don't have a bedrock, they don't have the Torah in their life, they don't have the, the law of Moses, they don't have the teachings of this is right, this is wrong. And so they have lived their whole lives as pagan, and everything that they did was right in their own eyes, much like the United States today. And so Paul begins to rebuke them, and he, and he starts going through all the wrong things that they're doing. Some of you, he, he, they were wronging each other within this body of believers. They were suing each other. They were taking each other to court, suing. They couldn't work out their differences in the church, and they were going, and they were suing each other. They were mistreating each other. In the times that they would have their big public meals, their, their times of gathering and eating meals together, that they would literally make the poor poorer people stand at the end of the line and get the leftovers of the foods that were put out on the table at the church picnic. They, they were mistreating and mishandling each other. They, and he rebuked them because they were full of jealousy. And they were full of quarreling. They were fighting back and forth. You know, that person went to my small group. Now they go to your small group. I can't believe you. They, st they started posting things online, just smacking each other, talking bad about each other. They were quarreling and fighting and full of jealousy. And he calls them out even on their sexual misconduct. He said, there's a guy in your midst that is now sleeping with his stepmom. And you're okay with that? In fact, you keep promoting him? You let him be a small group leader? Have you lost your mind? If I was there, I would set this thing straight. 
You should have put this guy out of your fellowship, but you've let him, you've validated his wickedness. And he's rebuking them over and over and over. They're full of pride. And he's constantly calling them out in these chapters on their pride. And they're misappropriating spiritual gifts. And that's really what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 will go into. They mis they're misappropriating spiritual gifts. They're using the spiritual gifts to make themselves look good in front of everybody. So everybody's got a prophecy. Oh, the Lord would say to you guys. And they're going off in tongues and things like that and building no one up. And so right smack in the middle of rebuke, he says, so let me help you with your problem. Your problem is you don't have love. That's where your problem's at. You don't have love. In fact, you must not even understand love. So he says, let me give you the practical, because, because you may have it ethereally. You may have it like from your secular background of what you think love is. And you may have all these ideologies that you learned in university on what love is. And you saw your parents show whatever you thought that was that they called love. But at the end of the day, let me give you the practical aspects of love. And he lays out 15 characteristics of love. And we're going to go through them real quick today. Is that all right? Say yes. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. Now, here's what I want you to do. As we go through these 15, I guarantee you at least three or four of them, you're going to be like, ooh, yeah, I'm not too good at that one. And I want you to let the Lord convict your heart. And I want you to say, Lord, I want to grow in this area. That's what, that's what the Corinthians did. Because 2 Corinthians, he responds to them because they repent. And he goes, I didn't think you would repent. I, I'm paraphrasing, of course. I'm so, my heart is so happy that you took my correction because love filled your heart and you recognized that your ways were wrong. And this is the church that he's rebuking. And so, you know this, the scripture says God's judgment starts in the house of the Lord. See, we can't fix all the brokenness all out in the world when we, the church, don't love each other, we don't love God, and we don't love the hurting people. So that's why the mission statement of Hill City is to relentlessly love Jesus, relentlessly love his church, the other churches in the, in the, body, of, uh, in the body of Christ, and to relentlessly love the hurting people of the earth. That's our mission. And it really comes from this piece right here about what love is. He starts, number one, with love is patient. Everybody say patient. patient. Okay, say it fast. Say patient. patient. There you go. Love is patient. And uh, the Greek word here originally, it, it means um, it's the use where a person who has been wronged and has the power to avenge themselves but will not. Love is patient. I have the power. You've done me dirty. And I have the power... To, um, to revenge myself against you, but I'm going to be patient in this relationship. It's not, it, it's not referencing, um, um, it, it's referencing uh, your relationship with others. Yes. So when it's saying patient, it's not patient like I need to be patient with this red light or patient with my, my check coming in from my office because they haven't paid me yet for work done, done in December. And he's talking about patience with each other. That's what this Greek word is really referring to. It's used, it actually, it's used throughout scripture with God himself, how he is with us. That he is long-suffering. They use that all throughout the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the scriptures in the King James Version. That God is long-suffering. You know what long-suffering is? Yeah, you do. Those of you that are married, you know exactly what long-suffering is. I've suffered with this sucker for so many years. But that's, what, that's, the, that's the reference here. Love is patient. In other words, I, I love you so much that I'm going to give you space for God to deal with that in you and for you to work that out. Without judgment or, or, or retaliation, I am patient because I love you. And so when you don't have patience with your teenager, let me just remind you, sir, ma'am, you're not showing love. So the way it practically works out, when, 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 when one of the leaders in the church, a small group, or somebody that you engage with somewhere else, and they just frustrate you, he's asking us to show love. He says, this is what's, it will not fail. It will not fail. Everything else isn't going to work. 
All this prophecy stuff that you're doing, all these tongues and all this kind of stuff, it's beautiful, beautiful. But at the end of the day, those things will fail. But what will not fail is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts that we show forth to the world and to the hurting people around us and to our own family. History notes that in his younger years, Abraham Lincoln was regularly mistreated by one of his adversarial lawyers by the name of Edwin Stanton. They were in such opposition, and throughout his life, Edwin Stanton opposed just about everything that Abraham Lincoln stood for. He called Mr. Lincoln a low, cunning clown. He nicknamed him the original gorilla. Lincoln said nothing, but upon his presidency, he made Stanton his war minister because he was the best man for the job, and he treated him with courtesy every day. The years wore on until that fateful night when the assassin's bullet murdered Lincoln there in the theater. In the little back room, the president's body lay. And there, standing beside him, looking over him, in the dark, was Mr. Stanton. Looking down on Lincoln's face, he said quietly, with tears coming from his cheeks, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. The patience of love had conquered in the end. Lincoln was patient with this man. This man opposed most of what Lincoln believed in. But he was good at his job. And so he hired him for that position. Because he knew that that man could do something great for the United States. Even though he had a difference of opinion. And a difference of politics. And he understood that if I keep him close. That I'll wear off on him. The love that I have for this nation. For the misappropriated people of this nation. That will wear off on this man. And at his death, this man stood over him and said, this is the greatest leader. And most would all, most everyone reporting would say, Mr. Edwin Stanton had changed so drastically in those few years of serving beside President Lincoln that he became one of the great heroes in American history. All because love is patient. Number two, he says, 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. Everybody say kind. kind. Don't you remember that the scriptures say it was his kindness that led us to repentance? then why do you think that it's your judgment that's going to get them to repent? It's his kindness. One of the things that I, I love, especially about some of you northern folks, some of you west coast folks from New York, or some of you come, you come move to Texas, and, and you're down in the south, and you say, you know, you guys just, you just don't tell it straight. I tell it straight. Yeah, in your process of telling it straight, you hack up people, and you don't understand why you get resistance. And the reason why you get resistance is because love is actually kind. In fact, I have learned over the years to not say the things that come across my mind. Are you with me? Say yes. Because, because I'm showing love. Because I'm exhibiting love. Love is kind. There was no greater religious man than Philip II of Spain. If you have a history class, you may have studied him. Philip II of Spain, he is the founding crusader of the Spanish Inquisition. And he thought that he was serving God by murdering all these people who would not convert to Christianity. Because he misunderstood a key principle in love. Love is kind. Who have you not been kind with? Who have you not exhibited love? Number three, love does not envy. Somebody say amen. amen. That's hard for all you guys because you're so sexy. So, so many people envy you. So it's hard for you. I get this. But... Envy is this thing that wells up in the hearts of all of us. Um, and it's actually broke down. Envy's actually broke down in two parts. 
the one that covets the possessions of other people, that's envy. But also there's another side of envy, and that is the where we begrudge that someone has something. We don't necessarily want it. We just don't think they deserve it. A position at work. That's the same word, envy. Love does not envy. You know what? May the Lord bless that person. You say, well, they're wicked. They don't deserve that position. May the Lord bless them. And maybe in the process of that promotion, even though they don't deserve it, maybe in that their heart will be open to know the Lord their God. Because love does not envy. Love does not boast. Somebody say amen. amen. True love will always be far more cognizant with its own unworthiness than its own merit. True love. That's why when you get in God's presence, and like we were singing today, and I recognize how gracious he's been to me. As we talked about a few weeks ago, those who've been forgiven much loveth much. It's hard to boast when you haven't accomplished really anything in life. It's been the hand of the Lord that has guided you and protected you. So, oh, no, that's not true. I did this and I did that. Let me tell you, one moment in a quick car accident when you were 15 years old and you could have been paralyzed from the neck down and you could have never accomplished the things that you have accomplished. It has been the Lord's hand watching over you, guiding you, protecting you from you. Come on, somebody say amen. And so what do we have to do? Love does not boast. Love is not proud. True love gives you the ability to say, I'm sorry, even when I don't feel that I've done anything wrong. Most of what's happening in marriages, these fights that we have, is because of our pride. Because I'm just tired of losing battles, so I'm going to stand up, my, and nobody going to take, and that's pride. That's what pride looks like. That's what it smells like. I mean, it's hard to beat on somebody who's humble. It's really hard to attack someone who just says, man, praise the Lord. I love you, man. God bless you. Go ahead and do it. You, yeah, you get, get your way. You can have it. In fact, the scripture says, why not be wronged? In reference to the church, they were wronging each other and fighting against each other. And, 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 and the scriptures told them, said, why not just be wronged? And just go on with life. There's not enough time in the day to carry the hatred and the bitterness for stupid people, of which we all are a part of. You know, I, I remind you all the time. You know how sometimes the preacher would do a service, and, uh, and maybe you're there, and, and he says, now, if you have someone in your heart that you've struggled because you hate them because of what they've done, and you need to forgive this person, or you need to forgive this person, and that person that comes to all of our minds, and we're like, yeah, amen, I'm going to forgive them right now. Do you realize there's somebody sitting in church, some church somewhere that when that preacher does that, you're the face that comes to their mind? You realize that, right? Like, just so you know, say, oh, not me. Yeah, pride, proud. Number six, love is not rude. Everybody say rude. rude. Love is not rude. In fact, I, I, it's amazing to me how quickly even we call it picking on each other many times, but we're being rude. Now, growing up in the 80s, we were rude to each other. And, uh, and some of you can see from some of our movies, so remember, you know, anytime somebody said something stupid or asked a dumb question, we'd be like, duh. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, gag me with a chainsaw. I mean, like, we had all these little slogans that we used to embarrass you for being stupid. And to this day, I struggle when someone, in fact, I told you guys uh, some months ago that uh, one of the things I thought about doing one day was I'm going to write a book of all the stupid things that people tell me in church. And, uh, and just walk up to me and, and just ask me some of the dumbest questions. And I had the hardest time, and I had to get delivered. It's not love. It's not love. When you start saying stuff, and I'm going, I am about to unleash the fury on your stupidity. 
are like, do, do you even realize what you just asked me? Like, can you even, like, do you have any idea how dumb what you just said sounds? And, uh, and I had to get delivered myself because I found myself, once I had reached a threshold, I would then be rude back to stupidity. Because I think I just have this thing in my mind that stupid needs to be called out. But that ain't right. And it's not love. And love is not rude. Everybody say amen. amen. Continue on. Number seven, love is not self-seeking. Now, I think this is probably, for me, if I had to be completely honest, one of the deep places that God had to do a work in me. I'm an only child. Everything is about me. Everything. Everything is about me. I walk into the room, and it's about how can I get all your attention, all your money, all your affection, <laughs> lavish it on me. I'm an only child. And that's my mom's fault because that's how she, she raised me. She loved me. And so, so I literally had to get delivered from this because I recognized at some point in my Christian walk, I am self-serving. It's all about me. It's that whole whiffum thing, right, in advertisement and marketing, whiffum what's in it for me. And so all the marketing markets to what you would want, what's in it for you, which is so upside down for who Jesus was. He came and he said, I don't, it, it's not what is in it for me, it's what can I do for humanity and lay down his life, true love. And so if you're like me or like I used to be and you walk into a room or you go into a relationship or you're in, and it's all about you, like I just don't feel the love anymore. That's self-seeking. I, I just don't feel valued anymore. That's self-seeking. I, I, I just don't feel like they respect me enough anymore. They're only paying me you know, $90,000 a year. And I heard over another company, they pay in my same position uh, $95,000 a year. I don't feel respected. Again, if, and I'm trying to point out to you that if you are full of self-seekingness, it's not love. It's human. And, and it's a part of life. And you and I both... Can get free from it and that's what he's rebuking the early church from and most of their problems that they were having in the church was from this position of self-seeking they literally did not like they were fighting to get to the front of the line during their meal time they had special seats for those who were more valuable than everyone else and we know that's wrong if we see ourselves from the person who was you know not as valuable if we think we're that person but if we think we're valuable then we have no problem with there is some type of hierarchical structure and Paul's rebuking them for it. And he says, listen, that's not what love looks like. It, 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 it's not self-seeking. You've got love all wrong. It is for Jesus and him alone that he would be glorified. And then he moves on. Number eight, he says, love is not easily angered. Somebody say amen. Somebody say it better. Say amen. amen. You know that person that gets on every nerve? You know that person, you know that situation that lights a fire in you faster? Like, we just, like, uh, like uh, it's amazing because, you know, there's some of you, you're, you're real easy going until that one button gets pushed that one button you know the button I'm talking about you know that button for me it's driving in Dallas like how can how can you get a driver's license and be allowed on the road with a 6,000 pound vehicle and you don't know how to use it like you should not be allowed to leave your house like you should not ever be allowed a lady the other day on the interstate in the left lane four lanes on this interstate heading that direction come to a complete stop put her blinker on because she saw an exit that she wanted to get to and we're all like Aah! and I am blessing her 
I did. I had to start praying in tongues. And I, for you guys that don't pray in tongues, you need a prayer language because I'm telling you, it, it's the only reason that I didn't do a U-turn and go back and shoot that lady because I was like, you put my whole life. Do you know the purpose of God on my life that you almost destroyed? It's not easily angered. It's not easily. That's not. I wasn't showing any love to that lady. I'm going to tell you that right now. I had to get free from myself. Uh, number nine, it keeps no records of wrong. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Now, ladies, I want to speak to you for just a moment. <laughs> this word <laughs> keeps no record of wrongs. In the original Greek, this word is the word, it's an accounting word by which you keep a ledger. It's a, in January 2020. 2020, at 5 o'clock, you said this. Okay? And, and so if I could just help you already in marriage stuff. So, so first off, as dudes, we don't remember 2020. We know there's a 2020 back there somewhere. But we don't even remember it. And when we said we were sorry, we never thought about it again. Because we thought you said, okay, I forgive you. I'll never forget early on in our marriage, uh, Jamie was having an episode because she married stupid. I mean, I can't, couldn't fix that. And early on in our marriage, and she was having an episode. She, she, walked, she locked herself in the back room, and, and I was knocking on the door, and I'm like, you know, I'm so sorry. She's like, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. And I, I think I repented for about four hours. And finally, I grew up here. And I said, hold on, let me just say something. <laughs> I have repented for four hours. Okay? I did what the Bible tells me to do. Now it's on you. Now, if you and Jesus can't work this out and you can't find forgiveness, I can't do nothing else. So God bless you. I think I went out and played golf or something. I don't know. I just went on with my life. I don't know if that was the right thing or the wrong thing to do. But I do know this. That love keeps no record of wrongs. Really, one of the greatest gifts you could have in your Christian walk is the ability to forgive and forget and let it go. Let it go. You, do you know how much you're carrying? And some of you are so brilliant. You walked in the room today and you analyzed everything. You worked 45 scenarios before you sat down. What if this? What if this? What if they do this? What if they do this? What are they going to do this? I'm going to do this. And if they do that, what should I do about that? And I'm so grateful to God that I cannot read your thoughts. Because it, you're one step from being purely insane. I'm just telling you because you're so smart. And, and, and many of my closest folks in this church, you're that smart. And, and we have conversations. I'm like, bro, you got to slow your brain down. Like, boom. And one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is to forget. And to release it to the Lord and say, Lord, I put it under the blood. What they did to me last year at this job, and it's over. I don't, that guy's gone. I'm not even that guy anymore. I'm four, I'm four months past that. And I don't even, I, look, they, they don't hold my destiny. They don't control my direction. I am in the palm of the living God, and he alone controls my direction. Are you with me today? Say, yeah. Love is not, does not keep record of wrong. Number 10, love does not delight in evil. 
Now, I live in a world that says, if I like it and love it, I can do it even if it's evil, for it's love. And, and, and Paul very clearly points out to these guys, bro, you took, you took your stepmom and you're having sexual relations with her. That is sin. You can call it love all you want. It's not love because love does not delight in evil. It doesn't enjoy it, can't enjoy it, can't look at it, can't embrace it. If you're embracing the evil, it's because you have a lack of love. Love cannot do that. Love for the Father. Love for goodness. Love refuses to delight in evil. You know what I'm talking about when you, when you get excited that somebody that you have had difficulty with in the past, you hear that they're going through a divorce. And you're like, <laughs> hmm, tried to tell y'all. Or they have a car accident. Or they're diagnosed with cancer. And they're the ones that did you wrong at the last church. Paul is teaching the practical application of love is that it won't delight in evil in that moment when you were proven right. It doesn't delight. It doesn't delight in the pain and suffering of others. It doesn't delight. It doesn't get excited about the wickedness in the things of this earth. Moves on. He says in number 11, he says, love rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth. Love gets excited about the truth. Now, here's the problem. Most of us do not get excited about the truth. We do not. The reason why many of the people, uh, you know, the majority of our churches in small group life with us, but many of the folks that I've interviewed that, like, just won't get in small group life with us, you know what it really comes down to? They don't want the accountability. They don't want anybody to say, bro, man, you can't talk to your wife like that, bro. That's not like Jesus. They don't want the accountability. But because they don't really love. And they don't want to really truly be loved. Because if you really embrace love, you're like, come on, bring the truth about. What do you see in me? Years ago, and I think I've told you this before, years ago, uh, I was mentoring a group of guys. and <clears throat> They were all young ministers and things like that. And, and uh, I had a particular night where I set them all down and, and I just kind of went around the circle. And one of the guys, he was out of town so he couldn't be there. He was on a business trip or something. And I went around the room and I said, you know, bro... So, you know, John, I'll just make up names. Uh, John, bro, I love you. You are so good at just reading a room. But, bro, you also have a bitter root. You have a bitter root, dude. And, and it always comes out, you're easily offended. And it's like all of us are scared to say anything around you because you take it and you get all offended about it. And it's like a great weakness in you. And I love you. And I, I believe you're going to be one of the greatest preachers in the world. But until you get that free, you're really never going to go any, anywhere else. Go to the next one. Bro, you know... Uh, you know, Dimitri, I'll tell you right now, bro, you're, you're funny. I mean, when you read the Bible, I mean, you're like a theologian. But at the same time, bro, you're a jerk. I mean, literally, the way you treat your wife, you're so arrogant and so full of pride. I'm just telling you, it's going to kill you and destroy you from ever. And I went around the room, and you suck at this. And you suck at this. But I love you, and you suck at that. I thought, well, that's the end of that small group. Praise the Lord. I had fun with it. It's midnight. They've left. They all left at about 11. It's midnight. My phone rings. And it's the one guy who hadn't, who, who isn't there, who's out of town. And, he, and I pick up the phone and say, hello. He goes, Pastor, I just heard from everybody. You, you had the greatest small group when I wasn't there. I said, what are you talking about? He said, they said you went around the room, told them what they sucked at. He goes, tell me what I suck at. I want to be a man of God. I was like, what? It was then and there that I realized 
that true humility and true love show me my blind spots show, I don't want to keep destroying my marriage I don't want to keep destroying my destiny I want the truth true love it rejoices with the truth you know it may be hard and it may hurt my feelings but tell me the truth tell me the truth and to be in relationships that love you enough to tell you the truth and to love enough to accept the truth and rejoice in it say Lord thank you thank you Thank you that those blind spots, I, I now can see them. Thank you that those things aren't hidden in the dark anymore. That I'm able to get free because they're brought out into the light. You still with me? Say yes. You still love me? Say yes. All right, I kind of believe you. Number 11, love rejoices with the truth. It's not as easy as it sounds. There are times when we definitely do not want the truth to prevail. And still, uh, we continue. Oh, sorry, I'm at 12 now, right? Go to number 12. Already did 11. All right, well, there's a lot of them. I'm not used to that many. 12, love always protects, always protects, always protects. You know, I don't think there's anything that love can't cover. And the Bible says that love covers over a multitude of sins. Doesn't mean it hides it, doesn't mean it, it, it but it covers it. It, it. You can't be in a good relationship with a friend or another believer or a spouse and not have things that hurt your feelings. And you then, once you come into knowledge of it, let, let me just back up. So when I came through ministry training in the Bible school that I went to, I was trained by the professors to never let the people, as a pastor, never let the people get too close to you. Because if you let them get close to you, they'll see your humanity. And as a result of seeing your humanity, and they want to put you on a pedestal and think that you're the holiest person, that you're the most godly. In fact, many of them think in their mind, I only follow that leader if they're super godly and so we were trained don't let you see our humanity because if you see our humanity then you'll begin to disrespect us and you won't have any honor for us and then you'll begin to criticize us and you will begin to try to tear down the church because of the humanity of the leader that's what we were trained in and so that's why you find a lot of pastors especially those that are a little bit older than me they all live in this whole piece they'll keep you at arm's length and that's why you always get to praise the Lord. All right, all right, hallelujah. Oh, man, so good to bless you. God bless you. You're like, that dude's never real. He's real. He's just not real with you. Because he's been trained that if you ever see that he's got some weakness in his life or she's got some weakness in her life, that you'll tear him down. And, 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 and so coming up in ministry, I kept, as I read through the Bible, I could not find Jesus act that way. Jesus is just, what you see is what you got, whether you like him or not. He was real. Now, he was God, so helped. <laughs> but I just felt like if I'm going to be like Jesus and I'm going to lead people closer to him, then I needed to be like him and just be authentic. And that's why uh, this church, you know, you're like, I can't believe he said that from the pulpit. I just can't believe he said that. <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I'm just trying to be real and authentic so that you can go, wow, okay, I don't want to ever come back here. <laughs> but you know in advance. And I think, I think this is the piece that seems to be mi missing is that, is, that, is that will you protect someone in their humanity? Will you cover them? Will you say to that small group leader, you know what, I know you're not perfect. And I know I probably got better training than you do. But I need some accountability in my life. I need to be in a relationship with some other Christians. So, so I'm hanging out with you and I'm protecting you and I'm watching out for you. Will you say to that spouse, you know what? This may be my second marriage, but I learned something from the first marriage, and that is not to tear down, but to protect. I'm going to protect you and your, and your weaknesses. And yet, do you protect your kid? I, I, I've had conversations 
Um, I've had conversations at dinner with crowds of people, big group of people sitting around a table, where one man is literally uncovering his wife's weaknesses. Like, bro, you should not be, like, why are you making fun of her? I've done that in the past, and Jamie had to sit me down and say, what are you doing? I feel unprotected by you. Love protects me and covers me and watches out for me. The reason, one of the key things that I think the reason why my kids serve the Lord is because I protected them. I protected them from their own flesh because I love them. Like, you see that right there? If you keep going down that path, this is what you're going to be. You want to date those kind of people? Let me tell you where that's going to end up. I had enough courage to sit them down. I didn't care if they liked me or not because love protects. Love says, this pathway is destructive to you. Love protects. And true love with humility receives. It says, thank you for the truth. Thank you for watching out for me. And in this church, we're going to watch out for you. We're going to point it out because right? we love you. And we want to be like Jesus and we want to protect one another. Here's the next one, number 13. Love always trust. Everybody say always trust. Always trust. Now, this, character, it has, this, this always trust has two pieces to it. It's first off, in relationship to God, it means that we always take God at his word. I trust you, Lord, even though it makes no sense. That's, for me, tithing was a big deal years ago. Like, Lord, I trust you. I've worked really hard with this money. It's my money. And then I had to get set free that it wasn't my money. It's all his. And that I'm a steward of his money. And to trust that I'm giving it at a church where that dude's driving a nicer car than we'll ever drive. And this thing, and these people over here, and this build, and because I'm a processor like that. And I'll never forget when I got set free and I said, love, love always trusts. Lord, I trust you. It's yours. Lord, and if you can't fix your leaders who are misappropriating your money, then how can you be God? And so, God, I trust you with the resources. I trust you with my life. I trust you, oh God. Love always trust. And in reference to people, it, it literally is talking about how we will believe the best in other people. That we'll make people what we believe them to be instead of what we always see. And some of you have a bad habit. Your first is because you, some of you, especially those of us that came off the streets and kind of that kind of living, my first response with people in the past have been, mm-hmm, let me see when you're going to turn on me. It literally put you in a category that you've got to prove to me and uh, that you're going to be faithful. And that was so damaging to relationships. Uh, I was in conflict with someone not so long ago, and we brought in an older man in the faith, two, two ministers, and I brought in an older man in the faith to kind of to walk us through a little bit. And we got down to this moment where I just said the, that this person was seeing things about me that wasn't true, that they weren't happening. But they were reading into these scenarios that I was doing something that I wasn't. It wasn't my motive. They assigned motive to me that wasn't there. And I had assigned motive to them because of what they were doing that wasn't truly there. And the bottom line, I looked deep into their eyes at the end of them and said, listen, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. And that person looked at me and said, how can I trust you? And I said, you're right, because my humanity can sometimes get in the way. Here's what I need you to do. Trust God in me. Trust God at work in me. Trust your God at work in me. You know your boss. It may be a jerk or a, or, or a thief or a manipulator, but you need to trust that God is going to work in that person's life. Most of the presidents that we've had over the last few years, I have not wanted them to be president. Because they just don't represent what I think character looks like in so many ways. 
I feel like we've had so many better people in the United States that we could have let lead us than some of the ones that have been put before us. But let me tell you what I've done with every president. Lord, I trust that you're going to work in them. And I trust, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe God that you're going to visit them in the night, that you're going to speak to them, that you can use them even if they're wicked and they don't believe in you. Even, Lord God, if they're horrific people, I believe that you can take the wicked and without them even know them, use them to do something good. I believe in you. I trust in you. Love always trust. Everybody say always. always. Come on, say it again. Say always. always. Love always trust. Brings me to 14. Love always hopes. What happens, church, when we let go of hope? How do we get so hopeless? Stop watching the news so much. Stop watching all these little, stop going down the rabbit holes with all these people and all oh, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and you don't know this one. Now the chickens aren't laying eggs because you know what they're doing, big farming. All. I've been there. And I had to come back to, you know what, love hopes. I love the United States of America. I love my country. I love you. I love the church in America. I know we got some scars about us. I know some of our preachers. But man, I just get so tired of hearing all this certain group of preachers talk bad about all the other preachers. Why do I God? At some point, can't we hope again that God's at work in the midst of us? Love hopes. That's what it says. Love always hopes. It always, always hopes that God has got everything in control and he's going to make his promises come to pass because his promises towards us are yes and amen. And no matter how somebody's being wicked to you, God will turn it for good. The scriptures tell us clearly that the enemy digs a pit, covers it over to trap us, but the Bible says he falls in his own pit. You've got to hope in the Lord your God. Love hopes in your partner. Love keeps hope alive in the business that you're in. Love keeps hope alive. We don't have to burn the bridges to everybody. And then the last one says, love always perseveres. Everybody say perseveres. Perseveres. Oh, you can do better than that. Say perseveres. Perseveres. This literally is translated out to bear or to endure what really is described as difficult. And it's the same, and literally it's the same concept of Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. I can, I, can, I can overcome this. It's got to have some resistance for it to truly be faith and love. It, it perseveres through some things. That's what, it's not, it, I tell people all the time, um, it's not love if I can't offend you and you still love me. That's infatuation. Right? Because the true test of love is can I offend you and you'll still, you'll still stay with me. That's the truth. It perseveres. It stays the course. It fights through. It says, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can keep loving this dude even though I want to stab him in the throat. I can keep loving these people even though they don't quite represent all the things I represent. I can persevere through all of that offense that just happened and that thing that I didn't understand. I can persevere. Why? Because in Christ, all things are possible. And I can stand with him as he stands with me. And we can overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Listen to me. The United States ain't going to get any better until we get people saved. Just telling you. And so you and I have a task, and that is to love the broken people of the world. To love them. Jesus did, for he gave up his life for them. For all of humanity. And he ends up with this last big statement as he's teaching us the practicals of love. And that is, love never fails. Do you believe that? Ooh. Do you really? I struggle with it at times, I'll be honest. 
Because sometimes I think, well, instead of love, how about, how about I just get, get my way? Because I know better. But he says, love never fails. In my life, I have many Christian heroes that I have studied their lives, that I have tried to learn from their journey. But one is a man that I've never met, but his story, who he is, he's been one of my greatest Christian heroes in the faith. It's a man by the name of William Seymour. If you don't know who this man is, you really ought to go study his life. William Seymour, probably one of the reasons I'm so attracted to him is because he's originally from Louisiana. I just want to say that, throw that in there. But William Seymour was a pastor. I believe he started in the Baptist denomination. At the turn of the 1900s, the turn of the century, he was ministering in Los Angeles. Had a small work there. William Seymour couldn't see out of one of his eyes, so they call him a one-eyed black man. William Seymour is in a time where we still have much difficulty with prejudice in the United States. But there in L.A., he and a group of seven men began to pray. They were sitting on a circle of some chairs and praying for God to do something supernatural. Good denominational fellows. When all of a sudden, according to their testimony, it was as though lightning came out of heaven and hit them. They fell to the ground, and as they fell to the ground, they began to speak in other tongues. Didn't even believe in it. When they got up off the ground, people from all around heard it and began to come to see what happened. As they began to pray for people, people began to get healed. Miracles started happening. These men didn't even believe in this. William Seymour becomes the pastor of what is known as the Azusa Street Revival. From 1906, I think it went something like eight, nine years, something like that, ten years. Men and women came from around the nations of the earth to experience the supernatural outpouring of God. Miracle signs and wonders. Multiple times the fire department was called because they thought the building was on fire. And people saw a physical flame coming off of the facilities. And they would call the fire department. When they would get there, they would find William Seymour, who was a very humble man, hiding up under a pew in prayer and, and, and crying out to God. And literally didn't preach a lot of messages, didn't do a lot of, you know, uh, 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 you know expressions of, of the word. God would just fall on people every time they gathered. And they would gather seven days a week to just let God touch them. They came from all over the nations to experience the power of God. And therefore, we attribute to William Seymour, he is the founder, if you will, of the Pentecostal movement in the United States. From him came Church of God, Assemblies of God, anything that you call spirit-filled or spirit-led, anything that is some type of break of, or some type of, uh, of you know, DNA of spirit-led life, miracles, signs and wonders, any type of denomination like that would have started right here at this moment with this man. Great, great man of God. And one of my favorite quotes that he talked, that he said was this. The Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. It does not bring, if it does not bring more love, it is simply a counterfeit. All of the miracles, all of the spiritual gifts that 1 Corinthians talks about in chapter 12. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, working of miracles. Seymour summarized it best. All of that is of no value if it's not from a place of love, and if it doesn't create more love, and if it doesn't establish more love, it's nothing more than a counterfeit.
Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church because they've got all kinds of signs and wonders, but it's all counterfeit because it's not coming from a place of love. So for those of you who are believing for some type of revival or some type of, you know, miracle signs and wonders, I believe for miracle signs and wonders every day in your life, in this church. But if they don't come from the place of love, then they're nothing more than a counterfeit. You and I must understand love never fails. And we all can grow in our love. Are you with me today? Say yes. Quickly stand to your feet. Quickly, quickly, quickly. As Paul is trying to help the Corinthians identify what love is, I believe it was such a mark for us in the era that we live in because we've lost what is love. Love is patient. Love will be patient today when you're waiting for your food to come and they've brought it out cold. Love keeps no record of wrong, so it's time to go delete some files off your hard drive. Love never fails. Here's what I want you to do with me for just a moment. I want you to close your eyes right where you stand. And I want you to engage with your God for just a moment. These are the Lord's 15 characteristics of love, not Pastor Adam's. All I did was bring you back through his word. And I want you to ask the Lord, say, Lord, spotlight where I lack love. Spotlight that for me. Do I, do I struggle to allow the love that brings truth to me because I'm embarrassed of my weaknesses and so I don't do well when people speak truth to me about me Lord have I become completely impatient Lord do I say that I'm just being honest when truly I'm just being rude and not kind Lord spotlight that for me because I want to walk in love Jesus said it like this, no greater love have a man than to lay down his life for a friend. We're not going to change this world by out arguing them or forcefully con convincing them that we're right and they're wrong. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will fail. All of that without love is nothing more than banging on a set of pipes and cymbals, clanging, making a noise. So my prayer for you, my, your, my prayer for me is that I would exude the true love of Christ. And I would walk in that love. And if that's where you're at today too, would you just embrace this time of prayer before the Lord? Jesus, we ask you now, Lord, we love you. That's true. But we got so much of our humanity left in us, Lord God, that I'm so grateful that you point out these areas, Lord God, that I can grow in. And Lord God, I recognize that love is more than a feeling or emotion. And that, Lord God, that there is this component of love that is godly and right, that fights against my flesh and what I think right is. And so, Lord, I just ask you now, Lord God, to deliver us as a congregation from loveless life. Lord, deliver us from worldly concepts of what's right and what's wrong and how we should live and how we should engage and how we should, you know what, that person said that about me? Well, I'm going to post this about them. Lord, deliver us. May we be people who love the way you said love was supposed to be exhibited. And so, Lord, here we are. Highlight those areas that we can grow in. Show us, oh God, how to love the way you love. And even as the Corinthian church repented, we repent. And say, Lord, forgive us. 
for not loving the way you love. Teach us how to love your way. If you just keep your head bowed for a moment, I'm going to take just a second and give, an, a, give a call for anyone who might say, Pastor, i got to be honest. If I died today, I don't think I'd go to heaven. Man, been there. I know what that feels like, seems like. I know what it is to walk into a church with a group of people, and I don't really know what they believe or what they're about, but have some, some thoughts in my mind. I know what it is to be embarrassed of my sin and think that I'm not worthy of forgiveness. But can I just tell you what the Bible says? The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Doesn't say anything about giving money to the church to be forgiven. Doesn't say you have to go on mission to be forgiven. It just simply says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Connotation there is that you repent of your sins. You say, Lord, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to follow you. And so today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to pray with anyone who says, Pastor, it's, it's me. I, I'm ready. I want to I get right with the Lord. I want to repent of my sins and confess him as my Lord and Savior. And I want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm going to pray with you right in your seat. Uh, the cameras are not going to zoom in on you. This is a deep, private, eternal decision. Do you want Jesus? Are you willing to repent of your sins and follow him and let him be the Lord of your life? With no one looking around, if that's you, would you just let me know? So that I know who I'm praying with. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. Okay, bro. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Okay. Yeah, bro. Yes, ma'am. Pray for me, Pastor. I, I want to get right with the Lord. I want to repent of my sins. I want to ask him to be my Lord and Savior. Anyone else? I mean, you can put your hands down. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance right where you're at, right where you stand. What I'm asking you to do is to mean this prayer from the depths of your heart. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside of you. I don't think there's anything magical about the words. I think what's supernatural is you said, yeah, I need you, God. I want you. And he's going to meet you right there. So you ready? Repeat this prayer with me. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. But I ask you now to forgive me, to wash me clean, to make me new. I turn from my sin. I change my mind. I don't want to live like that. Today, I give you my life. I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord. I ask you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now that there would be peace in that place of turmoil. They don't have to fight with you anymore. They surrendered. You won, Jesus. They're not running away from you anymore. There's, no, there's not an elephant in the room anymore. There's, they've repented of their sin. Now, Lord, I know in the days to come, they're going to stumble. Lord God, they're going to they're have shame, hit them again. But Lord, would you remind them they're not perfect, they're forgiven. And Lord, may there be a joy. Your word calls it the joy of our salvation. May there be a joy that bubbles up inside them. So you know what? I love God and he loves me. And he's going to carry me through trials and tribulations and temptations and sinfulness because he loves me and I love him. May that revelation become true to them all their days. Lord, I ask you to strengthen them. I ask you to put them in good Christian friendships and relationships. Lord, help them get rooted and grounded in a church, if not our church, some church, some body of believers. And then, Lord God, would you watch after your own interest. And may joy mark every day, for they know 
if today's the last day of my life, I will completely spend eternity with the one who saved my soul. Let these truths be evident in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said amen and amen. Can we applaud how good God was to us today? So good. Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.